Welcome to Legends from the Fireside. Standing upon the shoulders of giants in this genre, Legends from the Fireside is a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast set within worlds of sword and sorcery. In our tales, the dice tell the fates of those worlds, for good or for ill. No character is sacred. Survival is not guaranteed. As storyteller and game master, I craft the narrative from these dice rules and create quests from this chaos, all without knowing what could happen next. Listener discretion is advised, as we may explore dark corners of this genre. But, come now, for adventure awaits, listen in to the legends from the fireside. Welcome back to Legends from the Fireside. In the last episode of Legends from the Fireside, the party had infiltrated Talagor, the Master of Fears, encampment. After attempting a rather explosive plan to get Talagor out of his lair to confront him directly, many of the bandits were killed as the party seemed to be winning the battle. Unfortunately, Talagor made an appearance, and with the power of his magical pan flute, he had turned the tide of battle in an instant. All but one succumbed to his charming magic, and began to walk towards him, dropping their weapons as they marched. The one and only character to pass the saving throw was the ever-surprising Belgin, and in a second opportunity to prove his loyalty and bravery, he did not take this unexpected turn of events without a fight. As Belgin fought on, Talgor sent his minions to subdue him, though Belgin would not be shaken. After some good shots with a sling and a few swift clubbings, Belgin seemed to be winning. In a desperate move, Talagor ditched the fight, fleeing to the countryside, and sicking the minions on Belgin yet again. As Belgin was overwhelmed by the mass of bandits and party members, his unconscious body was dragged into the cage where the kidnapped of Okala were trapped. In the morning, the party were able to scare off the bandits and save these kidnapped townsfolk. Additionally, the party were able to retrieve much stolen treasure, as well as find what appears to be a treasure map and a letter similar to that which they had found in Alquot's lair, written from the mysterious Ravenous Maw to Talagor himself. Outside of this storyline, we also stat out the villainous Salisbaum and his company, as well as find out how corrupt and perilous Delagrad may truly be. Chapter 14 Part 1 Day 21, morning. Party status. Morris, 10 out of 10 hit points. Terriad, 11 out of 11 hit points. Thanel, 9 out of 9 hit points. Belgen, 4 out of 4 hit points. Kellum, 8 out of 8 hit points. Spells prepared. Terriad has prepared light. 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 And... Cure Light Wounds. Belgen has prepared Chromatic, chromatic Orb. 
the sun shone brightly through the clouds, as the party led a group of townsfolk back to their home of Oak Hollow. For two days they marched steadily onward, and none of the townsfolk seemed to complain, knowing well the fate they had escaped thanks to this odd company, and being eternally grateful for their selfless act in the previous evening. As they followed Thanel's path to Oak Hollow, they engaged in little conversation, though it was hard to keep from joking around when Belgin was about. When the party had returned to town with the kidnapped townsfolk, the citizens of Oak Hollow were both astonished and overjoyed. Though the town was still in disrepair following the raiding which took place nearly a week ago, the town was alive with celebration, as word of Talagor being run off had spread. Drink flowed freely, as old instruments were dusted off and played feverishly for the young and the old of the town. The party all found themselves in different positions within the town's festivities. Belgin had received many free drinks and gifts when the citizens heard of the gnome's bold act against Talagor, and Belgin would never turn down such kindness. He joined in on the festivities and won over the hearts of the people. Terriad, being a very agreeable and open person, was more than willing to take part in the partying and took great pleasure in keeping an eye on all of his friends during this rather exciting event. Kellum, being the biggest outsider, made great efforts to avoid being in the public eye, though he found it hard to avoid the comforts of feeling accepted by the strangers of Oak Hollow. During this time, he did his best to act kindly to these people, but found himself feeling awkwardly detached, as it all reminded him of the frequent celebrations he'd experienced with his people out in the wild lands of Ontora. Thanel, being a member of town, albeit a ranger of the wilderness, felt the most welcomed by these people. She hadn't been one for drinking or for games, but found herself dancing and playing with the children of town. Morris was similarly detached from the town and their celebration, though his sense of pain came from the memories of the last celebration he'd taken part in not so long ago. As the memory of his father fighting the mysterious black-cloaked warrior captivated him, he was freed for a moment as he saw Thanel playing with the children of Oak Hollow. A smile slowly grew upon his face as he looked at her in this way. Slowly, he realized how beautiful she was, and how, through her t at times dismissive exterior, he knew there was a protective and kind person he'd come to really care for. After a short while, Thanel looked his way and the two locked eyes for a moment, and shared a truly innocent and knowing smile. She looked away then to the kids and continued playing. Morris knew then he would have to tell her how he felt. Too many times he'd found himself so close to death, and he couldn't bear leaving this world with any of these regrets. For the next few days, the party will enjoy the spoils of a quest completed. The party, having few immediate tasks to complete, will stick around in Alcalo for about 3d6 days. After a roll on the dice, I got 14. For the next two weeks, the party will recuperate their lost hit points, repair their gear, and most importantly, they'll level up. To make a long story short, the party have retrieved a mass of coins and gems, as well as other various bits of treasure. 
having earned roughly 1300 XP each. This means that Morris, Belgen, and Thanel all leveled up. First, Morris is now a level 3 fighter. I'll first roll for his stat increases. If I get a 6 on a d6 for any of these stats, it will increase by 1. First, strength. I got a 2, no increase. Dexterity, a 6. Now his dexterity will be an 11. This makes sense considering how much combat and physical training our fighter has had to go through. Constitution, I got a 4, no increase. Intelligence, wow, I got another 6. His intelligence is now an 8. It would seem that Morris has learned much through his strategizing and conversations with his peers, though he's by no means anything above an average intelligence. Wisdom, I got a 3, no bonus. Charisma, I got a 5. Close, but no bonus. Next, Morris is going to get an additional d8 of health, and I rolled a 4. With no bonus to his constitution, this means he will have a maximum hit points of 18, which is certainly a respectable total. Beyond that, Morris has no bonuses from his leveling up. Belgen finally reached level 2 as a gnome, which grants him an additional spell, and his spell Chromatic Orb can now be cast through Alcode's Ruby to cause a heating effect. There's some penalties with this heating effect, and I'm sure they'll come in handy soon enough. For a new spell, I'm going to roll a d12 and see what I get from the Illusionist spell list. I got a 9. This is Phantasmal Force. Definitely an Illusionist staple, and I'm sure he will have plenty of uses for this in the future. Next, I'll roll for his ability score increases, and I'll roll down the line as well. Strength, 3. No bonus. Dexterity. Six. Wow. This brings him to a 13, which grants him a plus one to his armor class and to ranged attacks. Clearly, Belgen has developed some finesse from his ranged attacks, illusory magics, and all of those life or death moments. Constitution, five. No bonus. Intelligence, I got another six. This brings him to a total of a 15. Similar to Morris, he has learned much from his strategizing and interactions with these very different people. Wisdom, I got a 1, no bonus. Charisma, a 4, no bonus. Belgen certainly will benefit from some more HP, since at his current state he would die from any single attack. I got a 4 on a d4. Great. His new maximum hit point total is 8. Thanel will be the last to level up, reaching level 2 as a ranger. While she will have some small bonuses to her tracking ability, which clearly benefited her in this last quest, she doesn't get any other new abilities. As far as ability score increases go, for strength, she got a 2. No bonus. Dexterity, 4. No bonus. Constitution, 1. 
no bonus. This is not looking too good. Intelligence? A five. Again, close, but no bonus. Wisdom? A three. Charisma? Six. Perfect. Her new charisma score is an 11, which seems to come from her coming out of her shell as a citizen of Oak Hollow and among her party. Lastly, we will roll for her new HP, which is 1d8 plus 1. I got 3 on the die, plus 1, making her new total HP 13. Now, I feel it is time to address the final aspects of this quest completion. To begin with, I'll roll a reaction check to see how the gnomes Darleo and Belgen are received once the joy of rescuing the townsfolk wears off. It may be easy to look past the sleeping sickness for the time being, but many people lost loved ones and still potentially blame the gnomes for this. I'll add a significant bonus to take Belgen's actions into consideration. On 2d6 plus 3, I got 7 plus 3 is 10, which certainly establishes the gnomes into Okalo community as beloved and respected members. Likely, this will lead to more gnomes moving here in the future, perhaps studying under Darleo. Next, Kellum, Teriad, and Thanel all agree to forfeit their shares of the loot to the town of Okalo donating roughly 1,500 gold pieces and a gemstone worth 1,000 gold pieces. This money will do much to repair important town structures and services. Belgen gives much of his wealth to Darleo as payment for his education and as a sign of gratitude. Morris, on the other hand, plans on using his wealth for other purposes. walked up the short staircase leading to Silverfinger's pawn shop, and he looked up at the half-orc guard with a look of purpose. The half-orc knew Morris was likely not to be welcomed within this establishment, but having seen the small gem pouch clutched in his hand when he approached the door, he knew that Morris likely was here to spend some of his wealth. When Silverfinger's heard the door open and shut abruptly, he came out from his back office, eager to see who may be here to spend some coin. When he saw it was a very determined-looking Morris, his expression became a sullen one. Silverfinger slowly walked to the counter, and with a sigh, he said, Why is it that you grace me with your presence? Without a word, Morris pulled out a single topaz from his gem pouch. This gemstone was worth close to 100 gold pieces. He looked up at Silverfinger slowly and said, I know you know who bought our stuff, or at the very least, you know where it may have ended up. Tell me where I can find my things, and I'll leave you and never return. I'm going to roll a reaction check for this, though Morris has a minus one on all reaction rolls due to his charisma. He still put down a reasonable bribe, so I'm going to roll it naturally. On 2d6, I got a 5. Silverfingers blows a breath out and shakes his head dismissively before locking eyes with Morris and a very cold stare. 
I don't think you understand how this works. I do not take bribes. Even if I knew who had those things at this point, I certainly would not share this information with someone like yourself. Morris did not bother to reply to this. Instead, he pulled out a nearly perfect piece of carved ivory in the shape of a moon worth about 500 gold pieces. He slid the ivory to the pawnbroker while staring at him still. For a reaction check, I got a six. Still not great. Silverfingers crossed his arms, frustrated by this young man's persistence, but astonished at his willingness to frivolously throw this fortune at him. Morris then presses again and says, My father had left me important papers. Papers that maybe help me stop the black mask. Silverfinger's puzzled expression showed clearly that he had no clue who they might be, and for this reason, Morris dismissed their name and doubled down. He'll kill my father if I can't help him. Please. For a reaction, I got an eight. I think we're getting somewhere. I feel for you, young man. I really do. But I cannot betray the people I sell my wares to. Morris realizes the pawnbroker likely won't budge, and thinks back to his time with Finn and with Nem, and recalls their darker and more unsavory methods for conducting business. He considers how bold this move might be, but realizes this is likely his last chance. If you won't tell me who you sold the stuff to, I might have to warn the people of town of your ways. I'm something of a respected person around here nowadays, and it would be a shame to see your business fail because of something I said. Now I'm going to roll another reaction check. I got a six. Silverfingers realizes this young man may be telling the truth, but he certainly will not be swayed by some bravo attempting to threaten him. As the conversation stops in this awkward moment, Morris crumbles from his tough facade, and he instead tells him honestly, I won't tell the townsfolk, Silverfingers, but I have nothing left to give, and this stuff is all I have in life worth anything to me. Please, give me any sort of lead. I beg of you. For what seems to be maybe the last of these reaction checks, I got a nine. Great. Silverfingers takes pity upon Morris, and in a very serious tone he says, These wares end up in one of the warehouses on the bay, in the city of Thedal, the capital. A few half-orcs at the tavern on the wharf will know what you're looking for, but they'll be far less understanding than myself. Understood? Morris committed these words to memory and nodded swiftly before turning to leave the pawnbroker. As he paused for a moment, he turned back to tell Silverfingers that he could keep the treasures that he had offered as a bribe, only to realize they'd already been pocketed by the pawnbroker.
Now it's time to pull back the curtain here as the Dungeon Master and look at what lies before the party. The next quest for these characters is likely to come from the letter they'd found among Telegor's treasure from the Ravenous Maw. The question now is what that letter was all about. Within the BX rules, or the Old School Essential rules, there is a very brief guide to quest design that functions as a bit of a random table. I'll roll a d10 right now to see what I get. With a 2, I got the quest option of Clearing Ruins. The Old School Essentials guide says that these ruins will be cleared of threats, or what have you, to make way for new denizens or to make a land safe. I'm going to take some liberties with this entry for the sake of creating a quest that makes sense. It would make sense that the Ravenous Maw may need a group of hired muscle to clear out some sort of dangerous ruin, and perhaps Talagor's bandit gang were the ideal group to do so. To discover what may be of interest in these ruins, we should see who the original denizens were. I'm going to roll a d4 to see who may be the original denizens with one being the Ain Tendalel Elves, the original elves of Ontora, two being the pilgrims of this land, the wayward explorers who have disappeared due to mysterious circumstances, three being the warring clans, those peoples who took over after the pilgrims had dissolved, and four being some other unknown group. Let's see that roll. I got... A one. So, based on what we know of the Ein Tendalel, it would be likely that some sort of mystical magic or artifact lays dormant within these ruins. Since it is likely to be an entire location-based quest, it would make sense that this location has multiple purposes, functioning originally as a fort, a crypt, and maybe the lair of a powerful character. Although I could begin designing this dungeon now, I think I'll wait until we get closer to that location before we do that. One thing is certain, however, the Ravenous Maw is operating under the nose of the Lord, and as per the Oracle a few episodes ago, they are indulging and going through many rituals and festivities in the name of their cult beliefs. For these reasons, their true goal within the ruins is likely to further their own cause maybe granting their leaders greater powers to increase their influence. Whatever this may be, they wouldn't explain it to the bandits in this letter, instead maybe mentioning the need to clear it out of its deadly inhabitants. I'm going to roll a few times for the dungeon inhabitants on the random encounter tables for levels 1 through 4 in the Old School Essentials Guide and a few other supplemental books, and I'll see what I get. Alright, after rolling about 10 times, I'm going to keep most of what I got a secret for now. But ghouls were one of the monsters that came up twice. And this makes sense, as some lore I've read in the past suggests that many ghouls were once elves. Because this location is unlikely to be known to most of the people in this area, it'll need to be in the Borderlands. So, I'll say it's northwest of Oak Hollow, north of the town of Stormfair, the farthest northwestern town in the lordship of Delagrad. Roughly a week of travel from where the party are currently. 
So, with all of this information in mind, the letter from the Ravenous Maw would likely detail some sort of payment, maybe 2,000 gold pieces for the proven clearing out of the ruins of the ghouls that now haunt the halls. The ruins will be known to, as the Haunted Halls of Shaladir. Talagor would be given this payment upon completion of the task by a representative of the cult. Though I'll add further detail to the area surrounding the ruins later on, as of now, the letter will state that the small town of Solon Hill is closest to the ruins, and it would work as something of an outpost for his gang. So, now that the details of this quest are laid out for our party, it's important to see now which party members would even want to go on such a quest. Morris, having heard that his wares would be held up in a warehouse for potentially months before being sold anywhere, knows that he has plenty of time to go on this quest to Thadal. Now that he knows that the Ravenous Maw is a more tangible evil to defeat than this mysterious black mask, he reluctantly agrees to join the party on their way to Solon Hill to see what is happening at the haunted halls of Shaladir. Belgen has sworn an oath to defeat evil and protect all of those he can, and so, having heard that the seemingly evil Ravenous Maw have goals to explore deeper within the ruins, he needs to figure out how he can undermine and defeat them in any of their pursuits. Callum and Terriad have bonded quite a bit in the days that have passed, as Terriad realizes how much he and the wayward barbarian have in common. Understanding that Callum is a very guilt-ridden and proud young man, he knows that he will continue traveling and fighting for what is right, though his true goal is to return home someday and to feel accepted again. For this reason, as a follower of Hemwall, he will never feel truly comfortable in any one place. And if he can act as a guide to another wanderer, it would be his divine duty to do so. The two certainly agree to help in this new quest. Thanel, however, is an outlier. She has always been a citizen of Oak Hollow, and her first priority will always be their safety. For this reason, it would seem that she feels inclined to stay behind with her people. Once Morris finds out that this is the case, he knows what he must do. Chapter 14, Part 2, Day 35, Early Morning As the group of men prepare to head west to the Crossroads Trade Post, Morris asks to stop by the tavern to speak with Thanel one last time. The rest of the group understand his intentions here and respectfully grant him his privacy to speak with her. As he walks up to the tavern, Thanel is walking out, surprised to see him there. As he stammers over an attempt to greet her, he clears his throat and asks, <clears throat> Can I speak with you for a moment? As she agrees, he walks her behind the tavern to a small alley where they have some peace. In order to proceed with this dialogue, I'm going to utilize an oracle. This oracle will be based on D6 roll, where various numbers on the D6 will represent both yes and no responses, though some of these responses will differ based on use of the qualifiers and or but, with such answers as yes, but, or no, and. 
The first question I will have is, will Morris admit his feelings for Thanel? I got a three, which is yes and. The second question I have is, will Thanel admit her feelings as well? I got a six, which is no and. Morris, who has never been one for words, turned to face her in this small alley. I know you can probably see right through me, Thanel, but I need to tell you before I leave that I feel as though I have lost everything that I hold dear in this world. I feel that I've lost everything that kept me going before, and I feel like I've been wandering listlessly for anything to make me feel like I have something worth fighting for. I realized not too long ago that you've been the only thing I feel a sense of home with, and you've truly captured my heart, and I'm not afraid of you hurting me. I know that you won't join us, but I need you to know that someday I will return to you. Thanel looks away and then looks back at him with a very pained expression. You don't know what you're saying right now. You can't mean any of this. You need to keep your mind free of people like me and fight for your father and for the people of Delagrad. I won't always be here, but there will always be evil to be defeated. Morris looks similarly wounded by these words, and with tears welling in his eyes, he says, Evil will exist whether I fight or if I die, but the love we feel right now will only last so long as we can share it. All I ask of you is to admit that you feel this too. Thanel slowly tilts her head and takes a step forward as if to wipe away his tear before pulling her hand away and turning away from him. I'll admit nothing, Morris. You need to take your place among your companions and leave me and the people of Ocala behind you. Morris stands there, devastated for just a moment, waiting for her to turn around again and face him. As she stands, looking away, Morris slowly turns and walks from the alley to join his companions yet again in front of the tavern. Thanel's tears fall to the cobbled alley, and she begins to weep into her hands as he walks out of earshot. I'm not normally one to include romance in my games, but I think that the organic nature of having characters engage in this sort of a relationship not only makes sense for the style, it also has been a fun experiment for me to see how this sort of thing would go. And I don't feel that any of their interactions felt forced, but the use of an oracle sort of pivoting this sort of romance in this way does make it feel rather dramatic, but not in a way that I think ruins any of the story. I will admit, it's been very touching to see this romance blossom, and I truly hope that someday Morris will return home to her, and I hope Thanel may admit her feelings soon enough. I think it's time now that we address our good friend Talagor, the Master of Fear. Since he's been pretty well dismissed from his gang of bandits, it's hard for us to say exactly what would happen to him. 
since he would be traveling throughout the wilderness by himself, terribly wounded without many ways to heal himself. It seems likely that he would probably fall to the elements, maybe getting picked off by some gnolls or some other group. Knowing that Talagor is a very resourceful individual, it seems likely that since he still has his pipes, he may return to a place where he knows he could drum up some mercenaries to help him as he tries to reclaim his throne and perhaps get revenge on those heroes of Okalo. Since the safest place for him at this point would either be Thadal or the Crossroads Trade Post, I'm going to assume he'd take the quicker route and go to the Crossroads Trade Post. Since this is going to take him nearly five days of travel on foot, I'm going to go ahead and roll a few random encounter checks. Very well. I got one random encounter, and the beauty of a system like this and rolling random encounters in a solo RPG like this, it certainly makes for a storyline that I would not have expected. So, let's see how this plays out. Nearly a week and a half ago, in the plains east of the Crossroads Trade Post and west of Oak Hollow, a very wounded Talagor roamed the countryside, parched, starving, and happy to see travelers on their lonesome in the wilderness. As he ran down the hillside towards this group, he realized that their diminutive stature to be that of halflings. He counted them out as a group of six, and their dog-led cart came to a halt upon seeing the ragged man running towards them. A burly halfling stepped forward with a staff and a sling at the ready. In a gravelly tone, he yelled out, You there, stay back. We haven't time for bandits and miscreants. Talagor knew this was his time to perform. He fell to his knees, and with hands clasped before his face, he said in a quivering voice, Please, kind traveler, I am starving and dying of thirst. I'll do anything for your kindness at this time. As the halflings all exchanged glances, the burly halfling named Thador looked back at the pathetic man after rolling his eyes, anticipating a trap. You can have some of our supplies, but then we'll be parting ways. Understood? A grin crossed Talagor's face for a moment before he lowered his hands and he said, I am so grateful for your kindness. Many others would have killed me upon seeing me approach them in this bandit-ridden countryside. As Talagor approached, he was handed bread and a water skin, which he accepted and devoured. Theodore continued to eyeball the man and finally asked, What's your name, stranger? Where do you hail from? Between gulps, Talagor said, My name? It's Tevin. I come from Oak Hollow. My carriage was routed by bandits on my way home from the crossroads, and I've been lost and wandering since then. Thador continued nodding slowly, though curiously looking at the man's gear, until his eyes fell upon a strange item. A pan flute. At this point, Talagor had finished drinking, 
and he had asked to travel with the party to the crossroads in order to maybe find his carriage or some sort of safe passage back to Oak Hollow. The halflings felt pity for the man and agreed, though Theodore certainly did not agree with his decision. As they walked for a few more hours, Talagor continued to tell them lie after lie to earn their trust. As night fell, the halflings set up a camp and laid out a pair of spare bedrolls for the man. Talagor was impressed with how they'd welcomed him and found an opportunity to take advantage. I can never repay you for this kindness, but the least I can do is offer you maybe a song at the very least. I may not look the type, but I'm quite the musician. As a few of the halflings clapped giddily at the prospect of some entertainment on the trail, they listened in eagerly as Talagor began to play his enchanting tune. Slowly, they fell in line with the rhythm of the tune and sleepily stared at him, awaiting a command. Theodore felt like he'd been drowning in the sound, trying his hardest to hold on tightly to whatever consciousness may keep him in his right state of mind, realizing now that the rest of his company had fallen under this man's spell. I'm going to roll a saving throw for Theodore right now. At this point, I'm going to consider him just a first-level halfling, and we'll see how he does. Very interesting. Somehow, Thedor shook off the mantle of enchantment, and he saw the man named Tevin looking over the halflings as he said in a sinister voice, You'll take me to Thedor, and you'll do as I say. Thedor felt his grip on reality tighten as he reached slowly for a sling bullet in his pocket. The stranger with the pipes began to laugh about his successes here and his good fortune, not at all noticing the halfling drawing his sling back with a bullet aimed straight for his head. I'm going to roll an attack now. No bonuses. I got... Oh, man. I gotta be honest with you, when I set out with this random encounter, and I saw that nearly every member of the halfling group had failed on their saving throws, I thought that these guys would be wiped. Thinking that they'd be getting in a fight, I assumed maybe this halfling, Thador, his name, would have some sort of a chance to defend the halflings. But I had not anticipated a critical hit. On a critical hit, I'm going to roll a d4 of damage for his sling. I got a 4. Doubled because of the crit, he deals 8 points of damage. A very wounded Talagor certainly did not have 8 hit points worth of health to keep him alive. Suddenly, the laughter stopped. A thump of a lifeless body falling to the ground roused the rest of the halflings from their enchantment. Thank you for listening to an episode of Legends from the Fireside. If you enjoyed what you heard, feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review. Some of these reviews may be read at the end of episodes. 
You can also reach me at Legends from the Fireside on Twitter, or you can email me at legendsfromthefireside at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening to the show, and be sure to come back soon to listen to more Legends from the Fireside.